Chapter Twenty Two of Nature and Art. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Fascio. Nature and Art by Elizabeth Inchbald. Chapter Twenty Two. The Dean's family passed this first summer at the new purchased estate so pleasantly that they left it with regret when winter called them to their house in town. But if some felt concern in quitting the village of Anfield, others who were left behind felt the deepest anguish. Those were not the poor, for rigid attention to the religion and morals of people in poverty, and total neglect of their bodily wants, was the dean's practice. He forced them to attend church every Sabbath, but whether they had a dinner on their return was too gross and temporal an inquiry for his spiritual fervor. Good of the soul was all he aimed at, and this pious undertaking, besides his diligence as a pastor, required all his exertion as a magistrate. For to be very poor and very honest, very oppressed yet very thankful, is a degree of sainted excellence not often to be attained, without the aid of zealous men to frighten into virtue. Those, then, who alone felt sorrow at the dean's departure were two young women, whose parents, exempt from indigence, preserved them from suffering under his unpitying piety, but whose discretion had not protected them from the bewitching smiles of his nephew and the seducing wiles of his son. The first morning that Rebecca rose and knew Henry was gone, till the following summer, she wished she could have laid down again and slept away the whole long interval. Her sister's peevishness, her father's austerity, she foresaw, would be insupportable now that she had experienced Henry's kindness, and he was no longer near to fortify her patience. She sighed. She wept. She was unhappy. But if Rebecca awoke with a dejected mind and an aching heart, what were the sorrows of Agnes? The only child of doting parents, she never had been taught the necessity of resignation. Untutored, unread, unused to reflect, but knowing how to feel. What were her sufferings when, on waking, she called to mind that William was gone, and with him gone all that excess of happiness which his presence had bestowed, and for which she had exchanged her future tranquillity. Loss of tranquillity even Rebecca had to bemoan. Agnes had still more, the loss of innocence. Hal William remained in the village. Shame, even conscience, perhaps, might have been silenced, but, separated from her betrayer, parted from the joys of guilt, and left only to its sorrows, every sting which quick sensibility could sharpen, to torture her, was transfixed in her heart. First came the recollection of a cold farewell from the man whose love she had hoped her yielding passion had for ever won. Next, flashing on her thoughts, her violent person. Next, the crime incurred. Then her cruelty to her parents, and last of all, the horrors of detection. She knew that as yet, by wariness, care, and contrivance, her meetings with William had been unsuspected. But, in this agony of mind, her fears foreboded an informer who would defy all caution, who would stigmatize her with a name, dear and desired by every virtuous female, abhorrent to the blushing harlot, the name of mother. That Agnes, thus impressed, could rise from her bed, meet her parents and her neighbors with her usual smile of vivacity and voice of mirth, was impossible. To leave her bed at all, to creep downstairs, 
and reply in a faint, broken voice to questions asked, were, in her state of mind, mighty efforts. And they were all to which her struggles could attain, for many weeks. William had promised to write her while he was away. He kept his word, but not till the end of two months did she receive a letter. Fear for his health, apprehension of his death during this cruel interim, caused an agony of suspense, which, by representing him to her detracted fancy in a state of suffering, made him, if possible, still dearer to her. In the excruciating anguish of uncertainty, she walked with trembling steps through all weathers. When she could steal half a day while her parents were employed in labor abroad, to the post-town, at six miles' distance, to inquire for his long-expected, long-wished-for letter. When at last it was given to her, that moment of consolation seemed to repay her for the whole time of agonizing terror she had endured. "'He is alive,' she said, "'and I have suffered nothing.' She hastily put this token of his health and his remembrances of her into her bosom, rich as an empress with a new acquired dominion. The way from home, which she had trod with heavy pace, in the fear of renewed disappointment, she skimmed along on her return, swift as a doe. The cold did not pierce, neither did the rain wet her. Many a time she put her hand upon the prize she possessed, to find if it were safe. Once, on the road, she took it from her bosom, curiously viewed the seal in the direction, then replacing it, did not move her fingers from their fast grip till she arrived at her own house. Her father and her mother were still absent. She drew a chair, and, placing it near to the only window in the room, seated herself with ceremonious order, then gently drew forth her treasure, laid it on her knee, and, with a smile that almost amounted to a laugh of gladness, once more inspected the outward part, before she would trust herself with the excessive joy of looking within. At length the seal was broken, but the contents still a secret. Poor Agnes had learned to write as some youths learn Latin. So short a time had been allowed for the acquirement, and so little expert had been her master, that it took her generally a week to write a letter of ten lines, and a month to read one of twenty. But this being a letter on which her mind was deeply engaged, her whole imagination aided her slender literature, and at the end of a fortnight she had made out every word. They were these. Dear Agnes, I hope you have been well since we parted. I have been very well myself, but I have been teased with a great deal of business, which has not given me time to write to you before. I have been called to the bar, which engages every spare moment, but I hope it will not prevent my coming down to Anfield with my father in the summer. I am, dear Agnes, with gratitude for all the favors you have conferred on me. Yours, etc., W.N. To have beheld the illiterate Agnes trying for two weeks, day and night, to find out the exact words of this letter, would have struck the spectator with amazement, had he also understood the right, the delicate, the nicely proper sensations with which she was affected by every sentence it contained. She wished it had been kinder, even for his sake who wrote it, because she thought so well of him, and desired still to think so well that she was sorry at any faults which rendered him less worthy of her good opinion? The cold civility of his letter had this effect. Her clear, her acute judgment felt it a kind of prevarication to promise to write and then write nothing that was hoped for. 
but enthralled by the magic of her passion she shortly found excuses for the man she loved at the expense of her own condemnation he has only the fault of inconsistency she cried and that has been caused by my change of conduct had i been virtuous still he had still been affectionate bitter reflection yet there was a sentence in the letter that worse than all the tenderness left out wounded her sensibility and she could not read the line gratitude for all the favors conferred on me without turning pale with horror then kindling with indignation at the commonplace thanks which insultingly reminded her of her innocence given in exchange for unmeaning acknowledgments. End of chapter 22